we look at it together and let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly uh, Father, for this story of the first church. And we pray today, even many years later, you would teach us about what you're doing in the world from their story. In Jesus' name, amen. There are days, I think, when we all come to church and we feel a bit like this. We could all, uh, on particular days, think of better things to do than to come here. So well done for making it, if you feel like that today. Even uh, the church leaders sometimes only come because they have to. But the reality is that sometimes we feel like that about church. Saying that that's true, that's not an excuse for us just to suck the whole thing off and not come. The great call of the Bible we've been learning over the last few weeks is not to act, uh, make decisions based on how we feel on any particular day, but to be led by what we might call convictions, which really just means deeply held heart commitments to what's really true. And we've been learning as we've looked at the book of Proverbs that making decisions just based on what we want on any particular day is a way to disaster for us and everyone around us. So if you didn't want to come today, but you still came because you thought it was the right thing to do, well done. Let me tell you, though, about my conviction that I've been having refreshed by studying the book of Acts. The conviction that keeps me here, not just turning up, but pulling with all my strength to make this thing work. I believe that the world is broken and fractured and at enmity with the God who made us. And I believe that that God, out of his great and everlasting love, intervened, stepped in to make a difference in this broken world, to bring people back to him. And here's what the book of Acts is about. It says that work that God began by coming in the form of his son Jesus amongst us, that work did not finish when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Acts is the story of what the first Christians did after that. And look at what the very first verse of the book says. In my former book, which is Luke's Gospel, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus in his human body, teaching, living, dying, coming back to life. That's just what he began to do. Acts is the story of what Jesus did next. But Jesus does this bit in a totally different way. Just as he lowered himself in the person of Jesus to become human, Acts is the story of how God's Holy Spirit, who is God himself, comes and lives in the lives of normal human beings. And here's what it's got to do with being here today. He does that work in people's lives. He shows himself to the world as normal people get together in gatherings that we call churches. It's not just that Jesus will continue his amazing work through the church, which means all Christians at all times, though that is true. What we see in the book of Acts is that the spirit-filled Christians form local communities and they work out how to choose leaders and how to make sure the poor are fed and 
uh, they share everything that they have. In those little focused communities, that is how Jesus continues his work. So that's why I'm here. I could go and meet with any Christians I liked. And I wouldn't have to organize a coffee team. I could self-select people I already get on with, just be with my mates. I could not actually have to get to know and love people different to me. But I'd be bypassing what the Holy Spirit continued that Jesus started, which is gathering people from all backgrounds and all parts of the world under his gentle rule in local church bodies filled with his Holy Spirit. Diverse people loving each other is not that easy, but that's what people ruled by Jesus do. Because his spirit, who is also God himself, lives in us. That's what the book of Acts is about, and that's why I'm glad you are here in this local church, not in bed, not playing sport, not meeting with a self-selected group of easy Christians who are not a church. This is a Holy Spirit thing. So join me today as we look at the first chapter of this book of Acts, which is a strange introduction, and let's look together for the work of Holy Spirit, God himself, in our church family. And here's the first thing we see while Jesus is gone. Luke begins by telling us he's writing to his friend, Theophilus, where his gospel ended. And in those 40 days... Jesus spent with his apostles, people he was sending into the world, teaching them to understand everything from this new vantage point. I mean, it was quite a big change, wasn't it? Suddenly you discover that it's possible for people to come back from the dead. That does change everything, doesn't it? And Jesus is teaching the apostles about the implications. I feel slightly annoyed that they didn't keep their notes. Would it have been difficult for them to keep the presentation and email it around from those 40 days? But we don't. We don't get anything about what he was telling them. Perhaps some of it we get in the later letters in the New Testament. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. He's taken to heaven to be with his father. And it's just some angels in verse 11. That's the equivalent, I guess, of like a voicemail saying, listen, as he went, he'll be back. And that really frames the story of the whole New Testament. It's about life in the world between Jesus leaving this world and coming back again. There's a Twitter feed I love called You Had One Job. Do you follow that one? You Had One Job. It's about things, people just had one simple thing to do, but they didn't even manage that. Here's some pictures. Uh, UK airport sniffer dogs, good at finding sausages, but not drugs. (laughs) The dog trainer had one job. Or here's a, a sample notice from You Had One Job. Do not touch bread with hands. Please use tongue. (laughs) Presumably that's an autocorrect of tongs. Uh, There we go. You had one job. Well, you don't get the details of 40 days of teaching. We do get the last discussion recorded for us that Jesus has with his apostles. Uh, I take it that's because it's important. If there's one job, this is it. And they have their own concern in that discussion, don't they, in verse 6? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's important, that question to them. They understood that God had promised God would make Israel a nation again. Because until that happened, they were constantly under the occupation of a foreign power. They had nothing like what we would call today human rights 
Worshipping the true God was barely tolerated by the Romans who ruled them. And so they say to Jesus, okay, before you go, could you just tell us when you're going to sort that out, please? It's interesting, isn't it, that in verse 7, Jesus just shuts down that conversation. He says, there's something bigger and more important on God's radar. He does say, listen, God's in control of your question. He'll sort it out. But you, you have one job. You will receive the dynamic power that comes from the Holy Spirit, God himself, to be my witnesses right to the ends of the earth. You'll be blessed with this amazing, powerful, life-giving, unstoppable power to talk about me right out to the ends of the earth, beyond Israel that you're very concerned about. Now, right from the very moment the church began, Christians have been asking Jesus these type of questions, and they still are. Jesus, when will you sort this out? It matters to me. Maybe on a personal level. Jesus, I really need you to guide me whether I should be a lawyer or a doctor. Can you answer, please? I really need the Holy Spirit's guidance to know whether I should stay in this job. Jesus, when are you going to sort out what I should do with my life? Jesus, when will I get married, if ever? Jesus, sort this out, please. I've decided what I want. Jesus, you are the means to get it. Uh, Jesus, our church needs a new building. When is it coming, please? Now, it's not that God doesn't care. You know, he says, the Father is on it. <laughs> he will sort these things out you're worried about. But he's also saying, listen, Jesus is in heaven now. He is coming back someday. The Holy Spirit has been poured out now. You have access to endless power to witness to the ends of the earth about Jesus. It would be a big mistake to get distracted with some other lesser question. We have one job. Do that one, wherever you end up, whatever is on your mind. Now, many of us, I guess, have experienced this work of the Holy Spirit. As we started off as Christians, we were constantly looking to Jesus to just solve a list of problems we were bringing him. And they're important problems, very important, just as the restoration of Israel was to the disciples. But as you get to know him, as the power of his real presence, the Holy Spirit, in your life grows, what matters to you more and more is people seeing him and what he's like. Now, it's not that where I work and what I do and what matters to me stops mattering to me. It's just that Jesus is in heaven and he's coming back. And I am, with his real present help, able to show people what he's like. And so you learn as a Christian to be ready to leave those things, even very important things to me, with him and say, okay, you can take care of that. I'll do the job you've given me to do, praying, giving, acting, speaking, to point others to Jesus. Now, it's worth saying that if you're not finding that, there is something wrong. If we're only ever concerned about our concerns 
and we have no heart for people seeing Jesus, no power in our life to do that, there is a problem. If, if my attitude at work is praying for success at work, not for my work colleagues to meet Jesus, if my attitude to life is, when will I be happy, not when will Jesus be seen, if my attitude to money is, how much can I get, not what can I do with it to pay for witness to Jesus, if my prayers are all me and no witness to Jesus, there's something wrong there. If we have church members meetings here and there are discussions about things that would make us comfortable, and there's no fire to see Jesus lifted up, something is wrong because the Holy Spirit has been given to empower a change that makes us Jesus' witnesses. So if this is not connecting for you, today do some business with God and ask the Holy Spirit to change you that way. There is a mistake people sometimes make with this book of Acts. They think everything that happened then should happen now. And I think that's not the right way to read the book. It's not like church history is on an endless cycle of Acts 1 to uh, 28, and then we go back and start again. But we should read about these first Christians, and it should shake up for us what normal Christianity looks like. What we think normal Christianity looks like is so sort of flattened by the fact that none of us really can be bothered doing it. But let's look at what the Holy Spirit did to the first Christians. It was a community where people shared whatever they had. A community where they sent out people to reach people who haven't heard. They started new churches all the time because they wanted everyone to have access to one of these amazing places. If you've somehow learned to accept something apart from that as normal, if we don't do or care about what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, then there's something wrong. And we should seek change We regard people who are really into what Acts chapter 1 talks about, witnessing to Jesus to the ends of the earth, we regard those people as sort of a bit strange, you know, an oddity that they're into mission. I hope God calls more people to be like that. Acts 1 says that's a normal Christian. You're the weird one for not being into it. It is the only thing we have a record of Jesus commanding in his last 40 days. Those people are not the weird ones. What matters to Jesus is that we participate in the Holy Spirit's mission to the ends of the earth while he's not here in person. We have one job. Now, just before we move on, I want to say that this is not the talk, why don't you love people in your life who aren't Christians more? I have given that talk. It's quite a boring talk. The Holy Spirit's talk is more interesting. It's saying... Don't try and muster up a deep sort of concern for people if you don't feel it. What the Holy Spirit does is muster up in you a deep concern for Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. And so if he's at work in your life, he'll form you into someone who witnesses to Jesus. That's where the concern lies. If that's not in your heart towards Jesus, it's a Holy Spirit problem. And here's the second thing we see in the passage. It's an unstoppable power. After Jesus has left 
and the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming and the angels are explaining it. I don't know about you, I'm ready for the next chapter to start. Let's see this dynamic power of the Holy Spirit at work. And that uh, is what happens in chapter 2, but it is not what happens next. Did you notice verse 12 onwards? We get this strange and depressing interlude about Judas. Now, in case you don't know the story, Jesus had 12 close followers who he was training, handpicked by Jesus himself to spread his message to the world. But one of them, Judas, this is someone's painting of him, had plotted with the authorities to have Jesus executed. And he was so overcome with guilt by what he'd done that he killed himself. Well, the disciples are all gathered. About 120 of them knew Jesus at this stage. And Peter stands up and basically says, okay, guys, we need to talk about this. So what do we make of it? You can only imagine their confusion. One of the people closest to Jesus has betrayed him. What are we to make of that? Indeed, I wonder if I was Peter and I was the sort of leader of the Christians at this meeting, or indeed Luke, writing this chapter of the book, I would have tried to brush over this embarrassing background and get on with the story. How embarrassing for the church to have at its very root one of its founders Someone who betrayed Jesus so badly, who so clearly didn't practice what he preached. I think I would definitely, if I was writing this memoir, as Luke was, just skip their discussion of this sad and gutting episode. Keep it quiet. Because doesn't one of the founders of the church behaving this way cast out on them being a real church at all? And no details are spared, are they? We even hear the lovely detail that all of his intestines spilled out on the ground. There's no hiding even the worst detail of this story. Neither does anyone try to say, oh, he wasn't really one of us. Look at verse 17. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. He's a real part of our history. Well, Peter quotes two Psalms from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible that was written before Jesus lived. And he says, those things that were written in the past tell us that this would have happened to Judas. Now, uh, if you read the Psalms, it's quite hard to work out how Peter got that from them. That's a discussion for another day. What Peter's doing is expressing his confidence that all of this happening, which could hardly have seemed like a worse disaster, was no surprise to God, and they should just get on and make a replacement, which they do, this chap called Matthias. Here's another weird thing. Matthias is chosen in a sort of apostle X factor with another faithful guy, Joseph, called Barsabbas. So we discover these two people who could also, you know, of apostle caliber in the meeting. They can't decide which one to do. They draw a lot. They pray and draw lots to do it. Here's a weird thing. Neither of those people are ever mentioned again in the whole Bible. Now, that is strange to me. I sort of feel like, listen, if there's this collection of really good guys about in the background, can we hear more about them, please? Rather than having the whole story of Judas betraying Jesus and his bowels falling out repeated, which would have done once. 
You'll find that strange, though, about the whole book of Acts, if you read it. There seem to be good, faithful, solid men and women about, and they hardly feature in the story. Stephen is a godly guy. He gives one speech and then gets stoned with stones, not marijuana. Uh, Philip is a good guy, and he leads the first African to Jesus, which is a very significant ministry, isn't it? Given all the amazing things happening in the church in Africa today. And then he quite literally disappears from the story, as in God actually makes him disappear. The narrative of Acts focuses on Peter, who, if you read Luke's first book, does not come out well. And also on Paul, who was one of the people who murdered Stephen. I guess right from the beginning of chapter 1, it's a reminder that these churches the Holy Spirit will form, made up of these amazing communities that share everything, that see people from all over the world come to know God, who speak of Jesus everywhere, there's going to be some pretty bad, messed up people in those communities. Now, that's unsurprising. They're very generous communities offering free forgiveness from Jesus. That's going to attract some pretty messed up people. And yes, God the Holy Spirit is going to turn their lives around, but they will still be them. Ironing out the creases left from a life rejecting God takes time, and we will see plenty of that in Acts. This world-changing, life-altering, conviction-changing, spirit-empowered movement will have all sorts of messes and car crashes as the spirit takes hold of people who are, after all, still human, sinful people. So we shouldn't be discouraged by that. Even when we come face-to-face with people close to us, who let us down in the worst possible way. The first church, even before their mission began, were able to say, this didn't go anywhere, God didn't know it wouldn't, and now we get on with our job. From the beginning, there were loads of good guys there in the background getting on with it. But God brings the messiness to our attention because this church this movement, these local bodies, as they govern themselves, as they share what they have, as they teach each other, they will be filled with pain and hurt and disappointment because God is doing this through real people and that's not beyond his plan. Now, don't mishear me. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, great, you can be in God's church and part of his plan and do whatever you like. You can use the church to make yourself feel like a good person and not really be committed to what it's about and keep it secret and nobody will ever find out. As we see in a few weeks in Acts chapter 5, the book warns us very seriously about people who play that game. But when it happens, as it will, people taking that attitude, God basically says, listen, this is what it's going to be like. If this is about God not imposing a new heaven and a new earth onto this earth, but spreading out Jesus' work through normal people, being empowered to be disciples, 
Well, the people who do that are like the first disciples, going to feel the pain of that. And they're going to have to pick up the pieces, get on with the important job, find some good guys who are getting on with it and pass the button to them. There will be high-profile mess-ups and much of the work will be done by people we wouldn't have chosen and we don't really approve of. Can I say two things about that by way of application? You can't sit here today and say, well, being part of this witness to Jesus in the world, it's just beyond me. There's something I've done, something that I am like that means I can't be part of this story. You know, I hope all of these young, godly people who all go to far-flung places in the world, I hope they have good fun getting on with being witnesses to Jesus, but it's not for me. I guess that's why God makes Peter and Paul the stars of the story. He marks out that there is terrible sin at the very root of the church, the very first page of the church's history. Whatever you've done, the church's job, like here, is to accept that wasn't beyond God's sovereign rule and pick you up and us all get on with it. And if you are like Peter and Paul, willing to hold up your hands and say, listen, that was wrong, but I'll trust Jesus, I'll repent of it, I will share in this community, you are part of it, and God the Holy Spirit will do something amazing through you. It's the first way it applies. Here's the other way it applies. Nobody gets to use the bad apples in the church as an excuse to not join in with what the church is doing. Nobody gets to do that. It's easy to find a group of Christians, just ones who aren't in a church, ones you've just sort of siphoned off. You know, I'll just find some Christians that I'm friends with and keep the dangerous people I don't like away. And that just feels much nicer to me than being in church. I don't have to put up with all the weakness and stupidity. Listen, there are some people who've been very let down by church. There are some people, we've seen it in the news and in recent history, have been really, really awful things done by people in local churches that they will live with forever. And nobody's saying that's okay. Acts assures us that those people masquerading as Christians but using it as a way of abusing people will come face to face with God someday and that will not be pretty for them. And we do stand with victims saying those people should face justice now. But for most of us, it's much less serious but still very hurtful things about church. Some of us treasure and breed resentment over really very small things and use it as an excuse to not join in with what local churches are doing to be witnesses to Jesus. And to those people, I want to say, listen, if the first apostles can, before God, with prayer, deal with one of their own selling Jesus to his death, if they can accept that as part of God's sovereign plan and find a good guy and commission him to get on with it, whatever it is that has hurt you, you can do the same. No one's saying it doesn't matter. No one's hiding it. Peter doesn't hide it, does it? Say, oh, boo-hoo, very sad about Judas. Let's just move on. They're gutted. But, Peter is basically saying, Jesus really did rise from the dead and really has ascended to heaven, 
and we need to get on with that job. It's more important than even what Judas did. People can come up with all sorts of petty reasons not to join in this amazing thing that local churches are supposed to be. Because someone did this or said that or didn't do that or didn't say that. If the first Christians can accept God's sovereignty and plan over Judas betraying Jesus and get on with it. And if we can see in this story some of God's sovereign plan to use broken people as demonstrations of the gospel being for broken people. Well, you can get over that slight, that forgetting, that personal difference. That's why I'm here today, because God's Holy Spirit empowers normal people, of which I am one, to get past their personal concerns to witness to Jesus in this time we have until he comes back. God's Holy Spirit forms local churches who do that. And even though I know as well as anyone that local church life is full of disappointment and it's messed up and broken, and sometimes people make plain wicked decisions, that because of Jesus, God is bringing a new dawn over the whole world. Jesus started a work. This is how he is continuing it. That's why I'm here. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to say, please come with me. Let's pray.